All right. Is anybody glad to be here this morning? I feel you guys have to step it up a notch here. So uh, let's get into the word of God. That'll step it up. All right, we're going to read right through a psalm this morning, and we're going to just walk through it. And um, it's Psalm 23, a very familiar psalm, probably the most familiar psalm. And uh, it's often read at funerals. And although it's wonderful to read at funerals, I just want to walk through it, because I feel it's more of a psalm for life rather than a psalm for death. And so here we go. Some of you probably haven't memorized, but uh, here we go in New King James Version style right here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I just love this psalm, and then every once in a while, I actually haven't brought this psalm out. I looked at my notes in probably three years, and so I just thought it'd be a great day. I wanted to do communion this morning, and I thought, what a great psalm to do communion over. It was my pick for this morning. And so the Lord is my shepherd. That's just a great opening statement. The Lord is my shepherd. He's the shepherd. He's the guide. He's the Lord of our lives. And in the opening statement, he makes it very clear. And the rest of the psalm just follows that opening statement. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And the rest of the psalm just talks about that, about the Lord being his shepherd and the author speaking here, the King David he shall not want. And so right off the bat, the first line really suggests that the Lord is all one really needs to provide what is essential for life. That's just it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So when we have the Lord as our shepherd, we, we don't lack, we don't want. We have the essentials for life simply because we serve and belong to him. And so, like I said, a lot of times it is read at funerals, but to me, it's really a psalm of life and living, especially with us, living in a resurrected time, the period of grace that we get to live in, the greatest time of all the earth. And so David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now that word want really translates lack, I shall not lack. So if the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not lack. You know, and a lot of times we kind of live a mediocre Christian life. And I'm not talking about we have to have everything. I know that prosperity and health and all these things are included. But he's talking here about just a wholeness, body, soul, and spirit. That when we belong to him, we don't need to lack anything. Why? Because he's the supplier of everything. If we need something, he has it. If we need an answer to a question, he is wisdom. He has the answer to every question that we can need. And so the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. So really what he's saying up front is, when we have God, we have the essentials for life and that God is a good God, right? John 10, 10, very familiar scripture again. I'm just going to blast a bunch of familiar scriptures this morning. The thief does not come but to steal, kill, and destroy. So who steals, kills, and destroys? 
the thief, the enemy. But I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. So he who steals, kills, and destroys, simple, the enemy. Who brings life and life abundantly? Jesus, our Lord. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. The Lord is my shepherd. He's the one that brings life and life abundantly. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm not going to blame him for all the terrible things in my life because it is the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might bring life and life abundantly. Acts 10.38 says this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Leave that up. So he went about doing good. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good. So what did Jesus do? He went about what? Doing good. And what did he do? Healing all who were oppressed by who? The devil. Right? He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. So Jesus did the healing and the enemy did what? Brought the sickness, brought the disease, brought the bad. Right? He's the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to bring life and life abundantly. And so lots of times, you know, at least once a year, I have this uh, thing that we do and we just stick a stake in the ground and we draw a line and I just preach a sermon called Good God. And we just go back to the very basics of kindergarten Christianity that God is good and the devil is bad. Right? Say that with me. God good, devil bad. God good, devil bad. And that's what it is. We live in a fallen world. And I talked about it a week or two ago that one of the biggest questions that comes out be, up being a Christian is if God is so good, why all this terrible stuff, right? Well, when they realize that he's not the author of all the terrible stuff, that we live in a fallen world and we've been given free will to navigate this world and rely on him, that one day he's going to seal this whole thing up and everything is going to be good. But right now we live in a world where the enemy still influences and, and, and tries to dictate and, and, and tries to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus came that we may have life and that we have life more abundantly. And that X 1038 that we just looked at, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Last line, for God was with him because God was with him. So when people want to know what is the will of God, well, Jesus went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Why? Because God was with him. And the reason why he healed and the reason why he fixed things that were oppressed by the devil was because God was with him. God is good. God is good. Let's say that one more time. God good. Devil bad. That's the reason stuff's going on. Now we, as Christians and believers, it is our job to just continue to move forward in the will of God to find out how to live that life out that he wants us to live out. Doesn't mean we're not going to have suffering and it doesn't mean that we're not going to have a bunch of crazy stuff happen in our life because we live in a fallen world. But we get to go to the one who knows how to get us through, how to get us over, how to conquer whatever we're facing, whatever that situation is. Like I've said before, you've heard it so many times that Christians will say, oh boy, when I became a Christian, oh, be careful. Life gets so hard. I got news for, for those folks. Life was hard for me way before I became a Christian. 
It really was. Life, I had some tough stuff going on before I got saved, but now I have him. Now I have him that has all the answers, has all the power, and is in love with his child. Isn't that cool? So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack, because he's a good God, loves me, and has a plan for my life. Verse 2, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Now, probably driving on this property, you know that we have a lot of animals here, and I know a few things about green pastures. As a matter of fact, it's the time of year now where we break the fields up into different areas, and we have some field horses that were on round bales all winter long, but now they get to eat some of the grass that's on the property. And so we put some fence up, an electric fence up, and every couple of weeks we just move them from spot to spot, and they're here for a couple of weeks, they move to here for the next couple of weeks while these ones are growing and so on, and we rotate them through so that we can feed them until the grass stops growing. But every time we move them from one area to the next, especially if that area hasn't been hit for the year yet, like a couple weeks ago, I moved them into one of the areas where the grass was like this tall. Within like two hours, they're all lying down. Or at least the ones that like to lie down. Not all horses like to lie down. But they're all lying down. Why? They're full. They've had their fill. And so when he's talking about it here, sheep lying down in green pastures, the reason why he's making that analogy is because sheep and cows lie down when they don't have to walk around and eat anymore. They're full. They're abundantly full. And they just lay in the grass and just chew their cud and rub their bellies. Right? I know how they feel. And so he makes me to lie down in green pastures. What does that mean? Well, he just finished saying the Lord doesn't lack, that he'll lack nothing. And then he goes on to say, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. What? He overflows me. He fills me up. And what does that mean? I don't know. Everything. You know? Emotionally. Spiritually, for sure. And even though we're all fighting, he's given us enough in every arena, body, soul, and spirit. And so we just sit there in the grass and chew our cuds because he's an abundant God. Now, I can't help but think, when I think about animals chewing their cud, though, I can't help but think that God must be making a parallel here. So what does he give us that provides us with everything? The word. That's our food. The word. So really, he gives us an abundance of food to lie down in green pastures. We pick our Bible up. We have an abundance of food coming at us. And when you see a cow or anything in the field that has a cud, what they do is a cow will fill up on everything, just gorge it, and then he'll lay down and he'll just chew his cud. That's kind of gross because it's already in their stomach and they, they bring it back up and then they chew it. But what they do is they take advantage of all the food at one time and then they fill their stomach and then later on, what do they do? They get the nutrients out of it. And it's very interesting that the word in the Bible to meditate, the original language, is the same reference they use for a cow chewing its cud. So when you bring in all the food, like you're just sitting here, you're reading your Bible and reading a bunch, what we're supposed to do, though, is also sit down later and chew what we've been taught or what we've read. And what happens there is we get the nutrients out of it. Yeah, and so rather than just being a big history lesson, Make sure you chew later on. So he fills us with all this food. But we need to lay down once in a while and chew on that food. Why? Because it brings out the nutrients 
in our life. So he makes us to lie down in green pastures on the goodness of the land, the goodness of his word. Makes me to lie down on green pastures, leads me beside still waters. That's the next one, right? He leads me beside still waters. Again, just a picture. I mean, there's probably so many parallels here. You know, maybe water referencing the spirit of God that, you know, he, and the word lead in that probably parallels because the Bible says that we're to be led by the spirit of God. And an interesting note on the word led actually is the word ago in the New Testament. And like I always preface it and I always do a disclaimer, I'm not a Greek scholar. I just know how to read Greek scholars. But when I read this Greek scholar talking about the word ago or to lead, again, it was an animal reference. And it was like we're leading an animal, like a, a horse on a loose lead. So when we want to take a horse out to a, a paddock or whatever, and, and uh, we're supposed to lead them on a loose lead. And if they start being stupid, we need to train our dogs even. I'm in the middle of training two pups. Dogs, the secret to training animals and dogs is pressure on, pressure off. And when I want my dog to walk by me, when I say heel, I expect them to walk beside me on a loose leash. I don't want them pulling my leash. I don't want them pulling out there. No, I've told them to heal, stay right there. And so the moment they get out of that, we just tug them back in to a loose lead. Well, the word in the Bible, the word lead is the word ago, which references being led on a loose leash. And so when we are to be led by the spirit, God is telling us that we should be led on a loose leash, that he won't drive us anywhere. And he won't yank us into position that we've been given free will, that he leads us. He calls us. He teaches us. He speaks his word to us. He leads us by his spirit. He leads us by the spirit in our hearts. And we're supposed to follow on a loose lead. So he leads me beside still waters to peace. Sometimes I think we don't have peace in life because we don't take the first part. We don't, are not led by him. I know a lot of times when I'm going through frustrating stuff and, and my head is whirling and, and, uh, and yesterday my dog didn't pass a, a test. I was at a, a dog test yesterday and he did the stupidest thing. And I was so mad. (laughs) I was so mad. There was a duck in the water and he swam right by it twice. Didn't even, he was locked onto something else. And so I was brewing all day long. I was brewing all day long. And I realized later in the day that I'm thinking about situations and people. And every time I'm thinking about situations and people, I'm thinking really negative about the people in the situations. And it's so easy for me in my head to put down the people in the situations that are in my head. And I realized after a while, I just said to the Lord, I'm being such a doofus right now. What is going on? I'm being stupid. And I realized that, you know what? I've just been frustrated all day. And he's just been trying to lead me because I'm on the end of the leash, taking you know, my thoughts out on everybody else. And as soon as I submitted to that, which was quite late in the day, as soon as I submitted to that, I just felt woof happen. And all of a sudden, the peace came, and all of a sudden, I wasn't so mad at the people and the situations anymore. I wasn't so mad at my dog anymore. I wasn't so mad at everything anymore. And what? He leads us to still waters, leads us to peace. Cool, eh? So sometimes we don't find peace because we're struggling the leash. We're pulling on the leash. We're pulling on the lead rather than just when, they, when you get that godly Holy Ghost prompt to say, enough, or you know what, go and talk to that person, or you know what? Stay out of that situation. When we follow the lead, still waters. And then what happens next verse? He restores my soul. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. Now the soul is the mind, will, and emotions of a person. We are actually spirit beings. 
And we have a soul and we have a body. And so that's why in the scripture, when we see people that have already passed on outside of their physical bodies, they still have fingers and tongues. And there's these stories about situations that they just, they look like they did similar to what they did before they died. And so we're a spirit being, but we're clothed in a body. And then we have a soul, which is mind, will, or emotions. And so having our soul restored, our mind, will, or our emotions restored, well, my goodness, is that not the place where most of us wants to be? That's what messes everything up, the mind, will, and the emotions. I was just talking about what happened to me earlier. Like when your emotions start to go and your mind starts to go, it is like, oh, my goodness. Sometimes I think, God, what am I doing in my own head here? And you realize you have all these scenarios going on and realize how much time that you've consumed creating all these scenarios. And if you're mad at somebody and don't don't tell them you've never been there, if you run into them, this is exactly what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it. And it goes on and on and on and on and on and on. You never run into the person. What a waste of time. What's happening? We're tugging on the leash. And he wants to bring us back and lead us in, lead us into that place where he restores our soul. Wow restores our soul. He leads us in paths of righteousness. Leads me again in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So righteousness, his ways of doing and being right. He leads us in those. Again, going back to the word and the different things is he never drives us into that situation, but he always presents us and leads us down these paths of righteousness. And the Bible says the path of the righteous drip with abundance. Ah, my Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. The path of the righteous drip with abundance. But we are led in those paths for his name's sake. The paths of righteousness, his ways of doing and being right, his ways of walking out the word. It's like, you know, when we look at the word and we go, but it's, you know, we're in the 2000s now. It's 2019. I know this is his word, but... When he wrote it, he knew it would stand forever. Word is unshakable, immovable. He saw this day before anything was written down. He saw this day. And so his word, just like Christ himself, who is the word, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm the Lord, I change not. And so when he leads us down these paths of righteousness, this is what I believe is we need to pay attention to his word and his ways. I know we're in different seasons and I know we're being really pressured in the different areas of morality and different things in our school systems and all that. But those paths are the only paths that work. I was reminded of my kidney stone this week because there's a fellow that we know who was working on the excavator that ended up in the hospital with a kidney stone. And so I called him wondering where he was. And he says, I'm in the hospital. I said, what happened? He said, I'm in here with a kidney stone. And I laughed. I just laughed because I had been there before and I'm allowed to laugh. No one else is allowed to laugh. Because it's the worst thing in the world. It is, there's nothing worse than that, I don't think. As a matter of fact, I did a bunch of reading and they surveyed ladies who had given birth and had kidney stones that went from their kidneys to their bladder. And they, had, they were asked if they had a choice to do either again. And most of them picked childbirth. so I can say that I've been there (laughs) you ladies you got nothing going on anyways it put me to my knees and I know there was a fella in the waiting room Steve was there I didn't know he was there didn't really know him at the time who watched me in my pajamas crawl in there almost and and beg like a little baby for drugs so that the pain would go away 
And uh, it was like, the, it's the worst ever, worst ever, ever, ever. And I've had lots of things happen. Broke my collarbone, played hockey, I lacerated my bicep, it fell in the bottom of my arm, and I continued playing the game. And I'm just toughed it out because Philly was like, come on, keep playing. So I just <laughs> toughed it out. And I can tough through that stuff. But when that kidney stone hit, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. It was so bad. What, where am I going with this? <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So... It was so bad. And then when I got in there and they did all the CT scans and stuff like that, I found out it was just this little, little thing going from my kidney to my bladder. Just a little thing. Man, if I, if I would have thought it was like this big. And it was just this little thing. And it was simple. The doctor told me that it was like this little ball. It was full of spikes and hooks. It was like little fish hooks. But the simple thing was, he says, it shouldn't be in there. That's why it's so painful. It was never designed to be in there. There's so many nerve endings and stuff. That little tube was, it was designed for never for something like that to go down there. And I got thinking about that's kind of the ways of God. It's like when we do things that are not made to be that way, what does it bring? Pain. Always. So that's what we try to teach and teach our youth is like, you know what? God's not trying to keep you from something. He's just set it up and his, his passive righteousness, his ways are the perfect ways. Why? Because he's the designer. That's the great thing. There's only one creator and everything else is the created and he created everything. He is the designer. So he knows how the thing's supposed to work. And so when he tells us how to do it this way and we do it another way, it's inevitable that it's going to bring pain. Why? Just simply was never designed to happen that way. And so I look at it like a kidney stone. When God tells us to do this and we do something else and it brings pain, we just ought to go, no wonder why it was never supposed to happen that way. We were never supposed to be there. Right? And so he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And that path is always the best way. Even if that path leads to things that are hard, eternally, it is the most beneficial for our lives. Always. Why? Because he knows best. I better boogie. Okay, I'm going to blow through this. Verse 4, amplified. Yea, though I walk through the deep... Let's read it first normally. Though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, I will fear no evil. Amplified says, Though I walk through the deep, sunless valley of the shadow of death, I will fear or dread no evil. For you are with me, your rod to protect me, and your staff to guide, they comfort me. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death... Oh, fear no evil. It's the shadow of death. I heard one preacher say this before. Has the shadow of a dog ever bit anybody before? No, right? It is the shadow of death. Again, we're back to this enemy that tries to get you to believe certain things, but he has no power. He doesn't. And this is a psalm. David didn't die right after this. He walked through the shadow of the valley of death and he feared no evil. Why? Because the Lord was with him. So what is this saying? Yeah, we're going to have tough times. Yes, we are. But God is with us. He'll protect us and he will guide us through the situation. The secret, he's the shepherd. Go to him. Trust him for his wisdom. Rod to protect, staff to guide. And that's important that we look for the wisdom of God in situations. And fear and pain and all these things, man, they just have a habit of getting us to go somewhere else, don't they? It's like when we're mad or we're in pain or something, we'd rather tell someone than tell God, right? When we're in pain, we'd rather somebody feel sorry for us or help us in a situation rather than go to God. And I'm not saying any of those are bad. 
I'm just saying he knows everything. It should always be him before the Advil, right? I'm not saying you can't take the Advil. It's just him before the Advil for wisdom. Because he knows everything. Man, I wish I could just stop and lock on this one. Because it is so good. Anyways, so I walk to the valley of the shadow of death. That's all I'm going to give you on this one. I fear no evil. His rod and his staff. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. I love this. Because again, it doesn't say that we won't have enemies. It doesn't say that we're not going to have tough times. We have an enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And though all that's going on, he'll prepare a table before us in the presence of that. So again, life isn't supposed to be perfect as a Christian. It just means we have a perfect God in the middle of life that will prepare a table in the presence of our enemies. I remember we used to eat at this one breakfast place all the time, and they had this, this uh, print on the wall, and I always tried to find it, and I looked it up on the internet this morning, and I actually found it, and uh, put the first one up, because it used to make me think of Psalm 23 all the time. There's this print that was in this <laughs> breakfast place, and here's this lady, and there's some servants there, and the table's in the middle of this beach, and it's like something This looks so cool but so wrong about this, all at the same time. Like, who sets a table out on the beach and has their servants out there? Nobody's in shorts, and you know what I mean? It's just such an odd look. And every time I'd look at that, I would think, this is what I feel like on Psalm 23, what it means. The, no matter where we are, just woof, we can have this table, servants around us, a beach there, life is good, regardless of what is going on in our lives. And so there was that print, and next to this print was the same artist. It was this one. And it was just the same thing for me. It was like, when we're in trouble, here we go. We just take up a dance with the Lord and his servants are putting umbrellas over our head and shading us. And I just thought, what a picture. And the only difference is I'd want to see on the boundary, all these enemies going nuts, trying to affect our day. And we're just having a dance in the middle of the day. And his angels are holding umbrellas over our heads. And it's just like, he anoints our head with oil. Our cup runneth over. In the middle of our enemies, he prepares a table before us. And I thought, wow, wow, wow. Verse six. I don't want to be going this fast. I have to. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That sounds pretty good. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You two come up here for a second, just real quick. Magnus and Diane, come up here. Just you two, just follow me around for a second. This is like good stuff. Goodness, hey, goodness and mercy. Hi. Hi. Follow me all the days of my life. No matter where I go, they go. Is that not awesome? Thank you, you two. And you're the protector. You're the toughie, you little biker. They'll follow us. Goodness and mercy all the days of our life. Goodness is pretty self-explanatory. We went over that. But mercy is the word hesed. It means, it means covenant. It means faithfulness. His mercy, his covenant, his faithfulness will follow us all the days of our life. And it's actually paralleling to the time that they pulled the children of Israel in the Exodus out of um, being under bondage under Pharaoh. That'll follow us all the days of our life. And then we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. House of the Lord forever. So he starts one way and then he ends similar. He says the best thing about having the Lord as shepherd is having the Lord as shepherd. Not only all this stuff is we get to hang out with him in the house of the Lord forever. So all this stuff is great, but the best thing about having the Lord as the shepherd is we have the Lord as the shepherd. We have him, which is why now, if you can please hand out, do you have communion handed out already? It's all done. 
what I wanted to end with here. This is the only time in the Bible where it is referenced. Someone saying the Lord is my shepherd, my shepherd. David makes this thing so personal. The Lord is my shepherd, my, he belongs to you. There's a few things, so simple things that rock my world every once in a while. And one of them was when I was preaching a couple months ago and I said, this is the day the Lord has made. And I just stopped and I'm like, he made it. Like we say that so fast. It's the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad. But he literally made it. He like made it, made the day. And we look at just one day, Never mind all the days, one day he like made it. It's like people make some stuff, but he made the day. It's so cool to me. No wonder why we can rejoice and be glad in it. He is like, we talked about the creator. He is the author. And he's not just writing about it. Well, he kind of did. He just wrote about it and then it happened because that's how he makes things. But he made it. And then the other thing was just going over Psalm 23 again is he's my shepherd. Now we all get to say that, but he's my shepherd. He leads me. My shepherd. He leads me. I belong to him, but he belongs to me. He's my shepherd. That is so awesome. I get to hang with him in the house of the Lord forever. I belong to him and he belongs to me forever. He's my shepherd. Mine. And he's not ashamed to be called our God. And he's not ashamed that we're called his people. He's my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. My, lots of songs like that. I'm my beloved, and you know those. Some of you may know some of those songs, but he's my, my shepherd. Now, I was going to do 1 Corinthians and walk through it, but I'm not going to do that. Let's just stop right here on my shepherd. Jesus Christ, the word, the incarnate one, God in the flesh, is our shepherd. Our shepherd. My, my So I'm going to be kind of selfish about this today simply because I think in being selfish, we honor him in this particular situation. When we're to take communion, the Bible tells us that we're to examine ourselves, but the examination is really just how serious we take the table. A lot of people say you have to examine your life and get right with God before you take communion. That's really backwards of what the communion's for, because really this says I am a mess and thank God Jesus can clean me up. It's not, I need to fix myself up so I can take this. If I don't take this, I'll remain a mess. (laughs) If I don't have him, I'll remain a mess. So when it says to examine our life, he shows exactly what they're talking about. It's about how serious do you take it? People were coming in and just eating dinner and not really paying attention to what God did. And so it was more about, you need this to understand this. You need to remember this. So what are we remembering? First of all, that he is the bread of life. All his word has been given unto us freely. He went to the cross, all beat up, tormented for us, broken, so we could be whole for us. Given us his word, which is who he is, abundantly for us. And so when we partake, we know that this is not magical. What's powerful is the faith in believing what he did. And to take that seriously. And so we're going to take this in remembrance of him. And what he did, that his body was broken for us. Because God so loved the world, he gave Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus, for your body. Go ahead. In the same manner, after supper, he took the cup. said, this is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Again, this is so awesome. This is a symbolic of the blood that Christ shed for us. Shed for us. His blood was shed for us. But there's power in the blood. And it calls out continually that it died for us and we belong to him. And that blood is the new covenant signed with the blood of the lamb. An everlasting covenant. The Bible says one sacrifice forever. That's why it said take this seriously. Because something happened 2,000 years ago that makes us eternally bound to him. And no matter what we do or don't do, it changes that. It's simply faith in how good our God is to send a wonderful shepherd into our lives. Father, I thank you for Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that you are my king, my Lord, my shepherd. You're my shepherd, Jesus. You're mine. I belong to you and you to me. And this blood declares it in the name of Jesus. Go ahead. Father God, we just agree as a congregation this morning that we belong to you and you belong to us. I thank you, Lord, that we're eternally with you. I thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us. Father, help us to be led by you to where you would like us to go. May your grace continually give us the power to do so. May your voice be strong in our hearts and may we pay attention to your word and may it not just be letter, but may it be life to us. Lord, remind us to chew on your word and get the nutrients out of it so that we may grow in who you want us to be. I am so grateful to belong to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Amen.